Hey everybody, it's Altanya and welcome to another edition of Altanya's Library. Thanks so much for joining me. As promised, I'll be devoting today's show to the Ramsey Tassano series, specifically my latest release, A Lover's Redemption, that dropped on June 23rd. Redemption features Brogue Tassano and Marcella Cannon, who you may remember from their novella entitled Lover's Life, which released in 2017. Redemption is the full-length novel that delves deeper into their relationship, specifically what's happened since we last hung out with them in Lover's Life. I want to once again thank everyone who has kept this series on their bookshelves and on their to-read lists. Everyone who emails or posts about needing the next book now, you have no idea how much I appreciate that and how much it, it motivates my writing. And that's been the way of things uh, since I made the decision to independently publish the series, beginning with... Um, book four, A Lover's Regret, back in 2008. For those of you who are new to my world, you may not know the story of how that happened, so I'll share a bit of that with you right after this. So the series started in January 2006 with A Lover's Dream, which featured Quest Ramsey and Michaela Sellers. Um, I've written a lot of stories and I've talked about how some characters you just fall in love with even before they take shape on the page. Uh, and this is the way I felt about Quest and Mick. I thought about them for more than six months before a note hit the paper. You know, um, I, a lot of that had to do with the story I was working on before A Lover's Dream. Um, uh, and I needed something to take my mind off the frustrations of that project. The frustration wasn't with the characters, but other things. Anyway, Quest and Mitt gave me something to look forward to. And when A Lover's Dream released, it was so very well received. Uh, same thing happened with the sequel, A Lover's Pretense. That one featured Quest's twin brother, Quay, and his estranged love, Taikira Lowry. But little did anyone know that when I started writing A Lover's Dream, I had already plotted up through book three, A Lover's Mask. I actually think I had written the rough drafts for books two and three. Actually, it was more than just plotted. It was actually written. So I knew there would be um, at least four more titles following those because the twins had cousins. So um but my publishing house at the time wasn't interested in more Ramsey stuff. They wanted different titles from me, and that was fine. But um, the Ramseys were in my heart, and I'd already seen their story evolve up through probably book five at least. So I needed that storyline out of my head, and thankfully so did my readers. Um, it's because of them bombarding me with emails, um, really making it known that they wanted this series to continue. And that's the thing about readers. You know, they don't care about publishers or pub publishing houses or what's traditionally published or independently. They only want to see the author's name on that story. So I allowed that knowledge to soak in and it strengthened my resolve to strike out you know, on my own to complete the series. Um, or I should say continue the series because it's not completed. <laughs> I was very blessed to have the independent option available to me because when I started writing um, what they used to call Vantage, I think, I think Vantage, I think that's what they used to call it. Um, 
it basically, uh, it was like that was what the independent option was, you know, or self-publishing. And it wasn't, it was not as um, widely revered, I guess, as it is now. So as people kind of looked down on it, but I was very happy to have that option. And I talked with a lot of self-published authors and their stories just so inspiring. And so I, I appreciated that. Um, I knew where I wanted to take these characters. I knew the challenges they face and some of the ugly secrets to be revealed from their past. And a lot of that wouldn't have played so well with publishing house guidelines. Uh, I did have some interest in other companies wanting the series, but I was concerned that someone would tell me a character can't do this and I couldn't have that happen with this series. So off on my own, I went and that's that's kind of the story there. So we'll fast forward here. It's now 2009 and A Lover's Soul was a return to quest and mixed storyline, but it also introduced a few new heroes belonging to a new family, the Tisanos. Um, folks always ask how I come up with such elaborate twists, and I attribute a lot of that to growing up in the 80s, in the era of the family saga, nighttime soaps, Dallas, Dynasty, The Colbys, Falcon Crest, Knott's Landing. These shows were everything, and they had it all, and I was a sponge taking it in. And thankfully, you know, I was old enough so that my mom didn't mind sharing her TV time with me, because she was a big fan of all these shows. So I was kind of like encroaching on her mommy time, but she was cool with it. Um, so then you pair my love of these shows with a newfound interest in romance novels. And then, you know, I can't forget the daytime soaps, Y&R, you know, Young and the Restless, Bold and the Beautiful, As the World Turns, Guiding Light. Occasionally, I would hop on over and watch General Hospital or Days of Our Lives. Um, and that was during the summer months when I had more time. But, you know, I was mostly a CBS girl. So, there you have it. Um, from, for many of you listening, those show titles may mean nothing, but for folks uh, around my age or older, you get it. So all of that meshed and merged to create my writing style, and I'll be forever grateful you know, to all those influences. You know, I didn't have access to African-American authors um, in the time and place I grew up. They just weren't on the shelves at the library or the bookstores. And there weren't nearly as many as there are now, but there were they were there, but you know, they weren't where I was. And you can't miss what you never had. So I worked with what I had and I, I've never regretted it. Um, still, despite all these influences, it would be many years before I took a stab at writing my first romance. Um, and then one boring summer afternoon in 1994, that changed. And then about 12 years after that, the Ramsey series was born. Uh, fast forward a bit further, and in 2011, book one, A Lover's Shame, released in what would become the Ramsey Tassano series. Yeah. 
So we got our first glimpse of Brogue Tisano in book two of the Ramsey Tisano series, A Lover's Hate. Um, redemption, A Lover's Redemption was even more fun for me because of how much the Lover's Hate storyline played into it. And it's always great to revisit characters you enjoy and Sabra, Ramsey, and Smoke Tisano were a sexy and outrageous couple to put together. Uh, they, uh, Smoke especially though, brought some unresolved issues from that story to this one. So yeah, you know, explosive stuff. And that's just the start of things. A lot has happened with Brogue and Marcy since we last caught up with them in another, um, well, since we last caught up with Brogue and Marcy, a lot has happened. But in another realm of the Tisano universe, we receive even more information about Brogue, about his mother to be exact. Book of Scandal, the Tisano Elders, released in 2019. This historical epic, I guess you could call it that, the, the timeline spanned 1930s to 1970s, and it was a little over 200,000 words. Yeah, I, I know. Um, I never thought I'd write, I'd ever write a story that long, but when the material is there, it's there and it won't be stopped. I remember telling myself when I was deep into writing it that I was glad words don't cost anything because I used a ton of them. Um, and trust me, everything there, um, everything you'll read there needed to be there. Uh, the story is a sweeping look at the entire Tisano family, beginning with the family patriarch, Brogue's grandfather, Liam Tisano. The story starts with Liam's beginnings as a humble farmer in northern Italy, where he meets his future wife, Athena Cavallisi. But you know, right away we see that Athena isn't the doe-eyed innocent that we might expect to find. She's a woman well ahead of her time, which works for her and against her, definitely for and against Liam. Yet she's an excellent business partner, and together she and Liam forge what will become the Tisano Corporation. Um, they also have five sons. There are seven sons in all, but you have to read the story to uncover the dirt behind that number. Uh, so the book follows the family as it evolves. The sons meet their women and fall in love. Brogue's father, Gabriel, meets his mother, Giselle, and falls head over heels. But Giselle has a secret, a huge one that is revealed in this book, but it's kept secret from Brogue until we delve into A Lover's Redemption. So there are a lot of moving parts to this storyline, but before I touch on the highlights, here's an overview of the story. Brogue Tassano had been the black sheep of his family for years. In a family like the Tassanos, the distinction was nothing special. Then, a cold-blooded crime on a summer day changed that and Brogue's life forever. Years later, Brogue Tassano has emerged as an unlikely hero, but not everyone is convinced he has become a new man. The fact is as much a curse as it is a blessing. The woman he loves has no place next to the monster he used to be. However, to prove his worth to those who still despise him and to himself, Brogue will need to embrace the horror of who he once was to return to the life he swore would never again have his soul. 
Marcella Cannon would stand by him. She had told him as much. She was his life and nothing would change that. In a family like Tisano's, however, nothing could encompass a realm of upsets. None was as upsetting as the truths one never saw coming. Truths so implausible, they were unthinkable. So in addition to the big reveal pertaining to this truth about Brogue, uh, there are a few more things at work. You know, if you read the Elder's book or if you read the Elder's book, then you know all about Brogue's uncle, Humphrey Tisano. Uh, Hump is the oldest and among the most villainous of the Tisano sons. At the time of our story, he's been dead many years. He still has a few stories to tell, though, and he decides to share them with Brogue in the form of boxes and boxes of old journals. Journals. And Brogue wants nothing to do with them. But Marcy, being a doctor of psychology, is fascinated by the idea of getting a look into a mind like Humphrey's. And against Brogue's better judgment, he gives her carte blanche with the journals and the stage is set. Meanwhile, Brogue has a lot on his plate in this story, including the chance to get leads on those at the head of a large child trafficking ring. Now, if you remember A Lover's Return, which released in 2016 and rounded out that portion of kind of the Ramsey Tassano series, the heroes and heroines banded together to stop one of those responsible for this ring. And his name was Jacob Shellanon. There were more of the corrupt involved, but they seemed untouchable. No names or faces to track them down until a turn of events leads Broke back to the world he's sworn off forever. So basically, he's got a chance to get this information, which will hopefully give everyone the chance to destroy this group once and for all. By all accounts, it's suicide mission. You know, Broke is essentially going undercover inside the villainous segment of his family's company. But again, he feels he's got something to prove to those who still doubt him and something to prove to himself. So yes, uh, danger at every turn here, <laughs> but Brogue is set on doing this. And a lot of that determination and strength is owed to his relationship with Marcy. And as I was reading the final proof of this story, it occurred to me that Brogue and Marcy didn't have a lot of drama between them as a couple. And I even considered putting a bit more of that angst in there. And I quickly decided against it because drama for drama's sake is just never a good idea. Even though there were aspects of their relationship that I could have dragged out, you know, Marcy's family, for instance, um, her father and oldest brother did not approve of the relationship. One reason being Brogue's last name and the other because he was a white guy. So there was that. But um, as the story unfolded, the way it was all resolved just made more sense to me. Now, don't get me wrong. There was high drama between them. You know, Brogue had his thoughts on how the relationship should be going and Marcy had hers. And that made for a lot of interesting moments. So the, those moments just didn't occur the way I or unfold, I guess, the way I expected them to. And that's something I talk about a lot, how you have your plans for the story and the characters have theirs. And a good author listens to their characters. So that's what I did here. 
And, you know, I love the fact that these two were so supportive of each other. You know, Marcy stood up for Brogue at every turn because she realized that she was, you know, really the only one who had witnessed Brogue's transformation during their time in Jacob Shellanon's lair. And, you know, if you're unfamiliar with that part, you know, read A Lover's Return and A Lover's Life for that, that background info. So, but you'll get it in this story. Um, it's, it's pretty straightforward what they kind of went through. But um, so Marcy knew Bro was changed and redeemed, actually, even though he didn't believe it. So lots of twists, lots to unpack, lots of romance and sensuality. It's sexy, fast-paced, funny. You know, all the couples return in this one with lots of changes, you know, lots, lots of changes to their lives. Many of them are parents now. So it's just really great to catch up with them. And in the same moment, we are setting seeds. We're I'm planting seeds for the next stage in the saga. So in May 2018, I released the title Feast of Fantasy. And this was part of the Ramsey Tisano world, but not part of the series. Uh, this was another part of the realm, I guess. I don't know. It was also the first title published under my next pen name, Allie Fleming. So Feast of Fantasy is interracial romantic suspense. And in it, we get a look at this new drug, one that was used on Black Island. Many drugs were used on Black Island. So this one wasn't actually mentioned by name. Um, uh, but for those, when I say Black Island readers, you will recall Lover's Origin, Black Island, uh, that story, that novella. Um, but the drug wasn't mentioned in that story. And so in Feast of Fantasy, there are five new heroes who happen to be the sons of Jude O'Fion. Now, if that name sounds familiar, it's because he was Humphrey Tassano's partner in business and in crime. So he's like, now he's like the top dog in this whole scenario. So aside from knowing their father is scum, uh, the heroes of Feast of Fantasy, they don't know what all he's involved in. And this is where Brogue's investigation in A Lover's Redemption is key, because his efforts will reveal Ophion's inner circle. So book one of this, this, this new series, book one, Feast of Fantasy, is there. The rest I hope to begin later next year, I hope. Um, Guys, I've got a full-time job and uh, I love it. I mean, I really do love it. Um, and it's very demanding. So bear with me. Um, I'm not going to overwhelm you with more on the Feast of Fantasy world just yet. Um, just know that it's coming. I love writing. I mean, in case you hadn't picked up on that yet, I write the stories that I want to read. So um, I guess you could say I write like a reader, which makes it fun more fun for me, just so much fun. So it's something I'll do regardless of who does or doesn't read it. So the work is going to be there. Um, and I just can't wait to see what's in store for this series. Um, you know, the, the Ramsey series, Ramsey Sano series, it has evolved far beyond what I expected. And, you know, it's the joy of writing along with the freedom to craft my story the way I want to. And, um, and then beyond all that, it's my readers who make their appreciation known. And that is such a huge motivator. So 
Before I release your ears, I'd like to uh, share a scene from Redemption. And I hope you'll join me on Sunday, August 29th at 4.15 p.m. Uh, I'll be having a Facebook Live event. It's, um, I don't think I've ever done, I may have done one Facebook Live event, maybe a long time ago, but um, I don't do them often. So I'm hoping everything will work out. I'm really excited about it. And um, I'll be taking your questions, listening to your comments and theories about the series. Um, so I hope to see you there. It was just about 4.30 p.m. when Brogue returned home. Manhattan street lights were starting to illuminate, which made sense given the still dreary conditions of the day. Checking his watch, he decided to see if Marcella might be working in her suite along the office wing. He detoured to confirm and wished he hadn't. Two peas in a pod. Brogue was sure the grim truth had soured his expression, but he couldn't make himself care as he stood there in the office doorway to watch the team in silent work mode. A few seconds went by, or perhaps it'd been a few minutes, before he cleared his throat noisily to get their attention. The reaction stoked his basest instincts of territoriality and anger. They moved as one heads turning toward him simultaneously with the same few moments of pause before they blinked in recognition of another presence in their cozy midst. Marcella's lovely hazel eyes began to sparkle with happiness at seeing him. It was Silas Thwaites, however, that Brogue fixed on. They were in Marcella's office, but it was Silas behind her desk. Marcella sat in one of the chairs before it. Her small stockinged feet had been propped on the desk's gleaming walnut edge. Am I interrupting? Brogue asked. No, we, Marcy began, then slowly straightened in the chair when she realized Brogue had posed his question to Silas. Brogue? She silenced at the sound of Silas pushing to stand behind her desk. I have to get going anyway, Marcy, he said. See you in the morning, okay? Brogue? He added in farewell on his way to the door. Alone with Brogue, Marcy considered commenting on the chilliness he'd brought with him. But he didn't look in any mood to have his behavior remarked on. Besides, she had something more important to discuss with him. Standing, she discreetly carried Humphrey Tassano's journal to the credenza behind her desk. Marcella. Yes? Coolly, she turned the book on its cover and then faced him. Marcy had no idea how her efforts to seem cool appeared to the man who loved her. It took nearly all Brogue had to battle past the self-loathing he felt over the uncertainty he saw in her eyes, a reaction he felt he was responsible for. I'm very sorry for this morning. He nearly smiled when she blinked and dragged her fingers through loose shoulder-length waves as if she were trying to cover the fact that she'd been caught off guard. Bro, you didn't. Yes, yes, I did. So please let me apologize for it. I'd really rather not be let off the hook here, all right? Inclining his head a fraction, he saw a nod, which she gave. It wasn't my intention to act like a dictator, he continued. Deciding the terms of your freedom isn't freedom at all, is it? Stopping you from having that in any way is the last thing I, of all people, should be doing. And why is that? Do you think someone might accuse you of wanting to be my master? She challenged. He reciprocated her smile, but would not linger on how much the gesture made him want to kiss her. 
I'm sure someone, let's say in Michigan, is accusing me of that very thing right now. Marcy ignored the dig at her oldest brother, Darian. He had been the most vocal with his concern for the relationship. You haven't been any of those things, and I won't let you stand here apologizing for it. Being with you has been the best. How many apartment buildings do you know that offer room service? It's been a long time since I felt so secure and adored. The thought of it made her shiver. I wouldn't have traded a minute of that for anything. That's not what I'm trying to do now. Then what, Marcella? Bewildered, he spread his hands. It's just, her eyes scanned the room as she searched for the words. Being so insulated and protected has given me time to focus on more than feeling exposed and in danger. Brogue's jaw clenched over the memory, her reality of that life. What you've brought to my life has given me the chance to think on what more my life could be. Those small but insignificant things most people take for granted. She hugged herself and studied the view of the rainy sidewalk from her office window. How it feels to leave home and go to work and go back home again, to my own home. And you expect me not to apologize for getting upset about that? He laughed quickly and ill-humoredly. To not get upset for treating you like it was your fault? I should be supporting you, watching over you, and instead I... Hold on. She waved off what remained of his argument. Thank you for being so sweet and unintentionally chauvinistic just now. But you seem to think I'm that same little girl you knew on Black Island. I was honing my survival skills when you were still being spoon-fed by your grandmother. Brogue's brows arched then, and he considered her point while rubbing his cheek. She actually never spoon-fed me. She made the servants do it. Laughter spilled between them for several seconds before Brogue sobered. Are we okay? He asked. Marcy bit her lip, nodded. We're more than okay. Don't forget, I said some things you should be pretty pissed over. Brogue was slowly devouring the distance between them, stalking Marcy until he was able to invade every ounce of her personal space. Marcy retreated as much as the credenza would allow until she was sitting on it. Do you really think I'd walk away from this, from us? His eyes followed the path his finger trailed down a lock of her hair. You're everything I've never felt I had a right to want. You keep talking about me returning to the world I know. Arresting eyes roamed heated and hungry across her face then. My world has never looked so good or felt so right in or out of bed, he added with a quirky tilt of his mouth. Marcy's smile didn't quite reach her eyes. Impermanence, she said. It's been my way of life for so long. I keep waiting on things to change. That usually happens with, with things changing for the worst. Her eyes had faltered by the time she was done. They rested on the lapel of the sable gray jacket he wore outside his trousers. She didn't look up, not even when she felt bro cupping her neck, his thumb brushing the supple curve of her jaw. I'm not impermanent, Marcella. His words, wrapped up in the depth of his voice, made her tremble deliciously. They affected Brogue in much the same way. No, he wasn't impermanence. He was forever. She wasn't nearly ready to hear him tell her that.
Well, folks, that's my show. Thanks so much for joining me for this special version of Altanya's Library. Remember the Facebook Live event on August 29th. I hope to see you then and for the next episode of Altanya's Library. Until then, keep reading.